It was my first Sunday in my first appointment in ministry. It was my first Sunday in my first appointment in the North Carolina Conference as a student local pastor. It was McKendree United Methodist Church. When I started out in ministry, I pastored a four-point charge. That meant I preached four times on Sunday morning at 8, 9, 10, and 11 o'clock. I either loved my message by the time I was done and I knew it very well, or I hated it and didn't want to ever speak it again. <laughs> McKendry United Methodist Church was one of the oldest Methodist churches I've ever pastored. It was founded in 1809. Old frame, white frame building, beautiful wood, beautiful stained glass, beautiful black or very, very dark wooden paneled floors, rich red runner carpets, very a pump organ that was powered by your own pedal action. I mean, talk about fun playing it. You get out of breath playing the organ. It was a wonderful church. I loved pastoring that little church. I, I pastored McKendry, Pine Tops, Marvin, and Temperance Hall, United Methodist Churches, in the North Carolina Conference. This is my first Sunday at McKendry, my first service at 8 o'clock in the morning, my first time in ministry to stand before a congregation as its pastor. I'd been an associate student for a quarter year from the summer into the fall. This was in January of 1990, and I was terrified. <laughs> I was terrified. I preached my sermon. Now, most of you don't know this, <clears throat> but I used to stutter. In fact, every once in a while, you can sometimes still hear it if I'm getting uh, tongue-tied or I'm, I'm getting behind schedule or I'm getting a little nervous or I'm not entirely sure what I'm going to say. Some, 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 sometimes you can hear, hear it coming out and it comes out and it, it, I, can't really, I, I can't really control it. That's what it sounds like. And it can get worse, friends. It can get a lot worse. <laughs> and that's what I was doing the whole sermon long. But then we came to the part of the service that scared me the most. We came to the table of the Lord. We came to the sacrament of Holy Communion. The high holy moment in which God's grace is made manifest to us in bread and in wine, in simple elements. God comes to be with us, to feed us, to transform us, to love us, to grace us with His presence. And I felt absolutely unworthy, completely, utterly unworthy to stand at that table even though I had been licensed, even though I had been appointed by the bishop to do this, to do this very thing, I felt absolutely unworthy to do it. And as I stood there, I'm sure the choir behind me could hear my knees knocking <laughs> as I opened my mouth and raised my hands as I had been taught in the licensing school. 
and began to pray the great thanksgiving. I was so afraid. My hands were trembling. When I picked up the common cup for the consecration of the wine, I'm sure it's sloshed. I don't remember, but I'm sure it's sloshed. Worse than when I presided at Holy Communion on a cruise ship during the middle of a hurricane. (laughs) I was terrified of the table of the Lord. So, because I was terrified of the table of the Lord, I decided to commit my graduate studies to coming to understand it. And I spent years in graduate school, in my master's program, and in the doctoral program, studying the sacrament of Holy Communion, studying the means of grace, how we receive God's grace, studying how Christ is present in the sacrament, studying its history, its interpretation, its application, amongst uh, the church universal from day one, the Eastern Orthodox, the Roman Catholics, the Protestant communions within Lutheranism and Presbyterianism and Anglicanism and Methodism, the understandings that we have had of how God's grace is made manifest to us in and through the table. Because I was terrified of it, I decided to study it. But... To this day, it is nevertheless true that when I approach the table of the Lord, I feel down here in what the Greek word calls my splachna, my guts, I feel terrified because I know I don't belong here. I know I am imperfect. I know I am a sinner. I know I am in need of God's grace. And so I know that by my own ability, by my own desires and interests, I have no business presiding at this table. But for the same grace that enables you and I to come and receive I am called to and must preside. I'm approaching the bread of heaven. Wow, that's me. I'm approaching the bread of heaven. I'm approaching the grace of God, the throne of grace. I'm approaching not the manna that was laid out in the wilderness by the Father, For the Israelites during the Exodus, I'm approaching the true manna of God. Who am I to preside at the table? Not me. And yet by God's grace, the same grace that calls us to receive calls me to serve. Jesus settles it. Jesus answers my question. Jesus helps me to understand why I should be here. I'm hungry. I'm thirsty. I'm spiritually hungry and spiritually thirsty. When I am spiritually hungry and spiritually thirsty, what do we do? We come to the table of the Lord. That's what he said. I am the bread of life. Whoever comes to me will never be Hungry. You got to come to him, but when you come to him, you will never be hungry. And whoever believes in me will never 
be thirsty. Are you hungry? Come to Jesus and feast on the riches of His grace. Are you thirsty? Come to Jesus. Believe in Jesus. Exercise faith in Jesus. And you will not be thirsty. Well, Greg, I can't come to this table. I've sinned an awful lot this week. So have I. I've done things that I know I shouldn't have done. I've passed people who were hungry when I should have given food or a cup of water. I've done things or haven't done things that I should have done. So have I. It's because we're unworthy. It's because we are spiritually hungry. It is because we are spiritually thirsty that we must come to the bread of life, that we must come to the bread of heaven, that we must come to Jesus who gives Himself to feed us, who gives Himself to nourish us, who gives Himself to strengthen us, who gives Himself to transform us. It's because we're starving spiritually that we must come to Jesus. It is because we are parched spiritually that we must come to Jesus. We must come to the table of the Lord and take and eat and take and drink. Receive and be filled with the very love of God. We must eat and drink from the sacrament and be filled with the love of God. Jesus said, Very truly I tell you, it was not Moses who gave you the bread from heaven, but it is my Father who gives you the true bread from heaven. The true bread from heaven. And later on, as we'll hear in a future Sunday, Later on, he says, this is the bread. And there's no indicator as to what he's pointing to when he says this. So I like to think he's doing this. This is the bread. Pointing to himself. That came down from heaven. Jesus himself says that he is the bread of God. The bread of heaven. The bread of life for us. So that when we are terrified, when we are afraid, when we are hungry, and when we are thirsty, we can come here and be nourished, fed, quenched of our hunger and thirst, and know the abiding, indwelling presence of God. I studied this for years in graduate school. Wrote my dissertation on it. It's always a good idea to put the, uh, your major professor in the title of your dissertation. So I did that. My dissertation is entitled, The Real Presence of Jesus in the Theology of John Wesley, from John Wesley to Joffrey Rainwright, who was my major professor, Joffrey Rainwright. So I wrote his dissertation. You know, they graded dissertation based on its weight. Um, it was heavy. I wrote this dissertation... 
And the thing that just sort of off, leapt off the page at me was how the sacrament of Holy Communion, the sacrament of baptism, and all the other basic sacraments and sacramental acts of the church all lead us to God. All point us to God. All point us to Jesus. They are all means of grace. John Wesley called them the means of grace. So the question is, how do we receive God's grace? How is God's grace communicated to us? Well, you start with God. Joe, you start with God. There's God up there on his cloud looking down at us. You start with God. But how do you get God's grace from God to us down here in the world? We're down here. God's up there. How do you get God's grace? Well, the essence of means of grace theology is that there are instruments that convey God's grace to us. Tools that convey God's grace to us. Just as a telephone is an instrument for communicating with somebody else, uh, just as a television is an instrument for receiving messages from a broadcast center, just as a computer can be used to send email, email, receive email, and do all those other communicating that we do, so also the means of grace are instruments for God communicating to us His love, His favor, His presence. That's the essence of means of grace theology. It's the theology of the Catholic and the Orthodox and the Lutherans, the Presbyterians, the Anglicans, the Episcopalians, the Methodists. This idea that God utilizes instruments to convey grace to us. Hence you get Holy Communion. The, 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 the Word of God made present in bread and in cup. That's a means of grace. It's a sacrament, the church says. That which God gives us, an outward invisible sign of God's inward and spiritual grace that communicates to us, that conveys to us a conduit of God's grace to us. God's grace to us through the bread and the cup. When the body of Christ gathers around the table of the Lord, God's grace comes to us through the receiving of the bread and the cup. Jesus' real presence comes to us through the receiving of the bread and the cup. God feeds us. God nourishes us. God quenches our spiritual thirst, fills our spiritual hunger, and gives us the love we need to live. There are more means of grace than communion. There's baptism. When the body of Christ gathers at at church and worship, we have baptism as a means of grace, an outward invisible sign of God's inward and spiritual presence, inward and spiritual grace, inward and spiritual love. And there are more means of grace than the sacraments of baptism and Holy Communion. There's also the Word of God, the Bible, Scripture, that we read and understand and interpret as conveying to us God's Will, God's Word. Within the words of human beings having written the Scriptures, we have the Word of God speaking to us in print. There are other means of grace. Prayer, fellowship. Today, uh, the men met together over in the other building for 
breakfast at 7.30 in the morning. Now, those of you who have met me and talked with me know that I, uh, <clears throat> I have a little bit of a problem with early morning stuff. I keep on reminding the church that it was a last supper, not a prayer breakfast. And they don't seem to get it. <laughs> Y'all don't get it. <laughs> My favorite time for bacon and eggs is midnight. <laughs> not 7.30 in the morning. But it was wonderful. We got together. We laughed, we talked, we ate, we prayed, we read some scripture, we engaged in the means of grace, fellowship, food, prayer. We gave of ourselves for mission and ministry. That's all means of grace. Worship is a means of grace. Giving is a means of grace. When you make an offering to God, your financial gifts and your physical labor gifts you are engaging in a means of grace. Fellowshipping together, engaging in a means of grace. Bible study together, engaging in a means of grace. These prayer blankets, a means of grace. United Methodist women's meetings, means of grace. United Methodist youth, means of grace. Children's ministries, means of grace. In fact, St. Augustine, an early bishop of the church, said that there were thousands of means of grace. And I agree with him. A means of grace is any instrument that God uses to convey love and favor to us. And the principal one that we have in the church is the sacrament of Holy Communion. And so today, as we come to the table of the Lord... We come, even though we are unworthy, we come because we are thirsty, because we are hungry, because we are in need of God's presence and God's grace, because we know that when we come here, we will never be hungry. When we drink here, we will never be thirsty. Instead, God's grace will fill us and transform us and enable us for mission and for ministry in a broken and hurting world. It says on the front of this table, do this in remembrance of me. When we do this, we are remembered, brought back into membership with, brought back into contact with Jesus. We are remembered to Jesus. We are remembered to each other. We are remembered to the body of Christ. We are rem remembered to the grace of Jesus. We are remembered to the bread of heaven. We are remembered to His love for us. Brought back into membership with Him. So when you come to the table of the Lord today, be blessed by His grace. Be fed by His bread be quenched by His wine. Be filled with His love. Be fed with His presence. And then go out and share the love of God, the presence of God, the nourishment of God with all. And be the body of Christ for a world that needs to hear the good news of the love of God 
for us all. When you come to the table of the Lord, do not be afraid. When you come to the table of the Lord, do not be afraid for God's grace is here. God's love is here. I have to remind myself of that every time I remove the veil. Every time I prepare the table. Every time I lift the bread and the cup. I have to remind myself that God's grace is here for me too. And I have to be open to receiving it. Jesus said, I am the bread of life. Come and receive the bread of life today. In the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit. And may God's people say, Amen. Amen. Most merciful God, we confess that we have sinned against you in thought, word, and deed by what we have done and by what we have left undone. We have not loved you with our whole heart. We have not loved our neighbors as ourselves. We are truly sorry and we humbly repent. For the sake of your Son, Jesus Christ, have mercy on us and forgive us that we may delight in your will and walk in your ways to the glory of your name. Amen. Almighty God, have mercy upon you. Forgive all your sins through our Lord Jesus Christ. Strengthen you in all goodness and by the power of the Holy Spirit, keep you in eternal life. Amen. Now let us continue together in the great thanksgiving. The Lord be with you. And also with you. Lift up your hearts. We lift them up to the Lord. Let us give thanks to the Lord our God. It is right to give our thanks and praise. It is right and a good and a joyful thing always and everywhere to give thanks to you, Father Almighty, Creator of heaven and earth. You formed us in your image and breathed into us the breath of life. When we turned away and our love failed, your love remained steadfast. You delivered us from captivity, made covenant to be our sovereign God, and spoke to us through your prophets. And so with your people on earth and all the company of heaven, we praise your name and join their unending hymn, saying, Holy, holy, holy Lord, God of power and might, heaven and earth are full of your glory. Hosanna in the highest. Blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. Hosanna in the highest. Holy are you and blessed is your son, Jesus Christ. Your spirit anointed him to preach good news to the poor, to proclaim release to the captives and the recovering of sight to the blind, to set at liberty those who are oppressed, and to announce that the time had come and he would save your people. He healed the sick, fed the hungry, and ate with sinners. By the baptism of his suffering, death, and resurrection, you gave birth to your church, delivered us from slavery to sin and death, and made with us a new covenant by water and the Spirit. On the night in which he ascended, he promised to be with us always in the power of your word and Holy Spirit. On the night in which he gave himself up for us, the Lord Jesus took bread. 
gave thanks to you, broke the bread, gave it to his disciples and said, take, eat. This is my body, which is given for you. Do this in remembrance of me. And when the supper was over, he took the cup, gave thanks to you, gave it to his disciples and said, drink this all of you. This is my blood of the new covenant poured out for you and for many for the forgiveness of sins. Do this as often as you drink it in remembrance of me. And so, in remembrance of these, your mighty acts in Jesus Christ, we offer ourselves in praise and thanksgiving as a holy and living sacrifice in union with Christ's offering for us as we proclaim the mystery of the faith Christ is died, Christ is risen, Christ will come again. Pour out your Holy Spirit on us gathered here and on these gifts of bread and wine. Make them be for us the body and blood of Christ, that we may be for the world the body of Christ redeemed by his blood. By your Spirit make us one with Christ, one with each other, and one in ministry to all the world until Christ comes in final victory and we feast at his heavenly banquet. Through your Son, Jesus Christ, with your Holy Spirit and your Holy Church, all honor and glory is yours, Almighty Father, now and forever. Amen. Amen. As our Savior Christ has taught us, let us pray, saying, Our Father, who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done, on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread. And forgive us our trespasses, as we forgive those who trespass against us. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. For thine is the kingdom, and the power, and the glory forever. Amen. The disciples knew the Lord Jesus in the breaking of the bread. If those who were assisting would come forward at this time. Your